hey hey if you have a dream and a goal and if you think that now nah, i won't be able to achieve it then this podcast is just for you so what are we waiting for let's dig in my first step ever podcast helps growth minded youth across the globe who are hungry to achieve their goals this self help podcast uncovers the unique stories of people across the globe who are living a fulfilled life with their wisdom strategy and actionable steps this podcast helps you take your first step ever Hey everyone, I'm Ishani Nigam, the producer and host of this podcast. A creative and a curious soul based out of Melbourne with a background in marketing, digital content and design, I help create content that inspire and educate my audiences. I love to help entrepreneurs, coaches, brands that need to have a voice through podcasting. If you're looking to enhance your brand through podcasting where you can share more information about you your work i'm up for a chat reach out to me at my first step ever underscore in my instagram account and for now let's tune into this episode you have tuned into my first step ever and over here i'm so happy that you're going to spend some more time to listen to and understand a journey of a man who has found this fulfillment in his life but he has gone through some processes some steps and some realization so please join me in welcoming our guest speaker today Josh Far hi Josh how are you doing hey everyone hey Shani really nice to be with you i'm doing great today how are you doing i'm super 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 happy right now because there are a lot of reasons but to start with i would like to say whoever is listening to this in australia and if you're a student a student leader I'm sure you know who Josh Far is but let me introduce Josh Far to all the other people who are listening to us today Josh Far is the founder of Campus Consultancy and he has grown it into a market leader and his team has taken more than 30000 leaders from 35 universities student leaders he works in the space of student leadership entrepreneurship and emotional intelligence and even more than this he has done a lot of amazing stuff he has been a tedx speaker and he has been amazing over there if you want to listen to what he speaks about he has been a world cup judge for enactus if you are aware of that it supports more than 1700 universities globally with social entrepreneurship ventures and his team leads state wide initiatives for five australian state governments now when you google josh far you will get to read about all these things but what we are here is to understand his journey before he became what he became today and that is very interesting because most of us who are listening to us to this today we are on a journey to fulfill our goals and it's very important to understand very early on in your life that what could really help you move one inch closer to your goal so josh thank you so much for being on my first step ever i would like to start by asking you how would you describe yourself as a young adult and what mindset did you carry back then that's a really good question thank you for the really kind introduction so i think this is a is a really good place to start around how i describe myself as a young adult do you want me to pick a particular time frame like at a particular age yeah let's say in your university days 
Okay, cool. So I think it'd probably be fair to say in my university days, I was wearing a mask a lot of the time. You know, I had a persona, um, the root word of which in Latin literally means mask. So we have a personality and that might show lots of different personas, but the persona that I was sort of wearing around was someone who was trying to come across, my intention was to come across quite confident, like I had everything together, I was pretty carefree, I wasn't thinking really long term, and I was just, I don't know, I was trying to fit in, I was trying to feel like university was somewhere I belonged, you know, 200 kids started my year, my school in about year seven, and by the end, only two of us went to Sydney for university, so, and we went to different universities, so when I arrived at university, like I didn't know, I knew one person at the whole kind of college and I didn't really know anyone I went from being like a big fish in a small pond to being a very very small fish in a very very big pond more people went to my university than were lived in my whole town that I'd grown up in so yeah I was just trying to fit in I think I think that was the big thing I think my mindset at the time was have a lot of fun meet a lot of people and and just sort of see what happens I wasn't really thinking long term that's kind of where I was at that's very intriguing. And I would say, I mean, that is quite natural. Uh, all of us do feel that way. We would like to perceive ourselves in a certain way. When we, you know, meet other people from different countries, it's, it's a big space out there and we're trying to find ourselves as well. So from that point where, where I think you were quite chilled out at that point in time, you were, I don't know if you were very focused with your career or you were taking things as, it, you know, the, the flow of things as it was going. Uh, from there, I believe that you are a first class honor degree holder from NSW in civil engineering. And you did work in that profession for a few years. So I would really like to know from that Josh, who was, you know, carefree, just being there to make friends have fun, getting into a profession that in civil engineering, it's, it's not an easy thing. How did that transition happen? Basically, I want to know what was the decision-making process back then and what were your learnings? There's a couple of bits of context. So the first is when I went to university, I didn't necessarily have a passion for engineering. I met one engineer in my entire life. I'd never stepped foot on my university before campus before I went there. Um, I was good at maths and physics at school and my career advice was essentially go to uni. And I didn't think to ask lots of people for advice. I asked like one person for advice. And so I went there and I went to uni and I wasn't overly passionate about it. So, but I also was on scholarships and the only way I could really fund it was support from my parents, which was super generous and scholarships. And to keep the scholarships, I needed to keep a certain grade. I needed to keep like a 75 average, which was like a good example of you get what you aim at. Like my first semester, I got just over 75 and I was like, oh, like I don't, there's not a lot of wiggle room here, you know? If I tick B instead of A on a multiple choice <laughs> test, I probably would have fallen below. So I like, I just got it, but I sort of had this sort of pain was the motivation. I was trying to avoid the pain of losing the scholarship of keeping those grades up, but I wasn't necessarily passionate about the subjects. And I don't know if anyone listening will relate to this, but maybe in your first year of university, it was a bit hard and you didn't really love it. And everyone said, don't worry, second year is way better. You know, it's way, way better. And then you get to second year and you're like, this is harder and I don't know if I'm enjoying it. They're like, do not worry. Third year is where it's at. So I just like kept kind of kicking the can down the road. And I'll be like, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when. And I found all the joy and fun in sort of the social side of university. And the sort of mindset I had at that time was, I don't think anyone told me what uni was for. I don't think I knew why I was at university. You're not at university to get a degree. MIT's put all their degrees online. Go to a free MIT degree. Like, that's not what you're there for. Most employers, 7% of Australian employers say they look at your grades and think they're very important. 7%. 
So you're right. You're 12 times more likely to have an employer that doesn't think your grades are as important as they are, right? That's insane. So for me, I didn't, I don't think that's what uni's for. And I've come to this idea that I think university is for figuring out what problems in the world you care about and want to work towards solving in your lifetime. And I think it's really well used to explore that. And at the time I didn't know that. I thought it was like, get a degree, get a job. And I tried that route. It didn't work. Like I started applying for jobs and no one was writing back. They'd say, wait till you're in your third year or your fourth year. And I was like, okay, I'll wait. And then I started noticing friends getting jobs. And I was like, well, what are they doing differently to me? And one of the biggest things was they had all, they had leadership skills, they had teamwork skills, they had project management skills, they had real experiences. And I saw people who were getting a leg up, who were getting an internship in year one or year two, and their careers were starting to take off. Like they were they were working as an engineer and I spent my summers working as like a pizza boy delivery driver and working in a pharmacy, which is nothing wrong with that, but I didn't want to be a pizza boy delivery driver or a pharmacist. So like I was just sort of wait, sort of like kind of just doing jobs to get through. And then on the side, I was doing all this volunteer work. And, and what I realized was I was doing kind of by dumb luck. I had to do all these different things to kind of scrap together a resume. But what that showed me was, it was kind of like going to a buffet. If you try enough foods, you'll figure out what you like and don't like. And what I realized was I really liked the things when I was working in a team, when I was leading people and I had some kind of like, not authority, but ability to sort of influence the situation. And I really liked when I could see like a clear, measurable result. Now, it was very satisfying to me to come up with an idea in my head, bring people together, execute it, and then be like, yeah, look what we did. So I started doing that at uni. And eventually, as I went through the years, I got sort of higher and higher volunteering positions. Eventually, I got really fortunate and got a different scholarship that came with work experience, got some job experience, went out into the workforce. And then as soon as I got in the world of work, essentially they said, forget everything you've learned at university. We're going to start from scratch. Um, And the skills that got me through were really like the teamwork, the communication skills, um, being able to build relationships with people. But I made like a ton of mistakes. Like I still think I set a record for all the mistakes I made. And if anyone's sort of out there like, you know, I don't have volunteering experience. I don't have any scholarships. Like I don't have a part-time job. I don't know where to start. Like I made all the mistakes in the book and I didn't realize how powerful it was to change your mindset first. And then the results will follow. I was like, I need the result first. And I'd never thought about changing the way I think. That's really intriguing. I think that there are three takeaways that I have from what you just mentioned. The first thing, thank you for doing it. It's decoding what the university is for. That is very important to understand as early on, as you mentioned, it's just to discover yourself. And it's very important to understand yourself as early as you can. So that's really interesting because that takes up with the pressure of, you know, you have to have to do this particular thing or have to get a certain score to get to a certain point. The second thing that you mentioned that you tried, you loved experimenting. I think that is where your natural abilities were and you liked doing things. So you just went for it. You started building more on your strength. I think maybe without knowing it or maybe knowing it, but that's where you went forward to. And then you worked on certain goals that you had at that point in time. You did not know what to build on, but then you came to know that what you have to work towards and you did put in that effort. So that is really amazing because when someone realizes that you need to reach a certain point and you are not there yet, you have to accept where you are first and then understand what is the situation. So that exactly, I think what you've done. And I think that sort of helped you in way of decision-making process. So I remember you said once in one of your interviews that when you started working for your civil engineering career, but you did not find yourself aligned with that career. 
What made you quit that career or maybe take a break? Yeah, it's it's such a it's the question I struggle with the most because my views change on it every year, which I love. Like mm. I'm a big believer that you don't just change the future, but you can change the past. You can learn more about the past. We go, oh, that's why I did that thing. And then you see yourself really differently. So okay. for me in engineering, at the time, my thinking was, if I simplify it down, it was, I'm not thrilled to get out of bed every morning and go be an engineer. Right. You know, I wasn't, and I had, I was really blessed. I had a really good friend in uni named Mike, who is brilliant and just like breathes engineering. He's like the guy who just like, is a gun, you know, just <laughs> will run whatever engineering company he decides to work for sometime in the future. Like just unbelievable. And one of the things that I was really blessed with was having him around because he loved it. And that was really, it was a real blessing in disguise. I don't think I've ever really sort of shared this before, but because I saw someone sitting next to me at work who loved it, I knew I didn't feel the way he felt. Yeah, right. It was like, I saw someone who was like a 10 and I'm like, I'm not a 10. But then there were things in my life where I had been before. So for example, when I grew up, I played the drums. And like, if someone was like, I'll pay you the same to be an engineer to play the drums, I would be like, yes, like, take my work boots, give me some sticks, you know, a hundred, because like, when I'm doing that, I was like, alive. yeah. Yeah, like there's the, I can like, feel it in my body. I know what it, I know what it feels like. And I've since learned what uh, like a sort of heck yes feels like. It's a full body reaction. And you know what a definitely not feels like. You're like, danger, danger, don't go down that alley. Like, you know that. But the subtle no was something I wasn't as good at. That thing I'm like, oh, I could do this, but I don't love it. Like, I'm dragging myself out of bed. And I gave it my all because I'm like a pretty, I'm a pretty conscientious person. Like, I work pretty hard. I really pride yes. myself on whatever I do. I try to do well. So I have that in me. But... I just didn't, I didn't love it. And so that was really the thing that I'd ask, I'd encourage people to think about and be really honest with yourself. If the degree you're studying right now, do you love it? And if you don't, that could change. My experience is it doesn't. I haven't met people who like, oh, I didn't really love my degree at uni for four years, but now miraculously I love being an accountant. I just haven't seen it happen. But it might, fair enough. But like, if you don't love it, I I encourage you as a thought experiment to say, if I got booted out of this degree tomorrow, if they shut down the accounting department, they shut down the business school, they stopped doing engineering, they got rid of creative writing, I could never dance again. If I wasn't doing this, that I could do anything else in the world, what would I do? Whether it's like, what would you study? What would you, that's why I think the idea about what problem would you solve is so powerful. And for me as an engineer, I was like, okay, I just don't, I don't love it. And I saw people who loved it. I also am like pretty high in like openness. I'm pretty creative. I really like it. It's like abstract thoughts. Why I love to read so much. And so the idea of like, huh, I've gone down this road. I've sort of climbed up a ladder and it's leaning along against the wrong building to Steve, still a Stephen Covey metaphor. And I've only had, I've only sort of realized that as I've got high enough up. And I looked at people at work who are great people. Like they're incredible. but I didn't necessarily want their life. Like I looked at the people two or three years or two or three ranks above me and they were still coming in at 5am and they were getting home late and they were working Saturdays and a lot, not all, but some were feeling really stressed or they didn't necessarily get to spend as much time with their family as they wanted. And I just sort of said like, this isn't the life that I want. And I'd worked really hard to have a life I didn't want. And I think that's the trap. And for students, 
I'll end on this and let you, because I don't know if I'm going on a tangent, but when you go into the workforce, and I was working more than this, but in, in minimum, if you work nine to five, and most people work eight to six or seven to seven, but if you work nine to five, five days a week, that's 40 hours a week. If you do that 50 weeks a year, most people don't even take all their holidays. Right? That's something I didn't know. I've got friends right now from uni who have a year of holidays saved. They don't take them. So if you work 40 hours a week, 50 weeks a year, that's about whatever that is, 2,000 hours. If you then do that for 40 years in a career, like 20 to 60, and most of mm. us will work longer, if you do that for 40 years, that's 80,000 hours. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot of time, right? It's oh, like yeah. I, jo- I joke, like if you've ever watched a really bad Netflix movie, you might have lost two hours of your life and you're like, I'll never watch that again. If like your inner idiot says, I'm going to re-watch that movie another 40,000 times, <laughs> like that's what we're doing that, in the workforce. That is a great analogy. <laughs> you know, and like the Gallup data says out of every seven Aussie workers, less than one of them loves their job. Out of every seven adults, less than one of them loves what they do. Like if you doubt that, think about your high school teachers. How many of them loved being there? Were like beaming with excitement to be there every day. And what I realized in the workforce from just, I just felt it in my gut was I wasn't, I didn't love it. I wanted to find something that I loved. And I decided that I had to leave to find it. Yeah, I think what was really interesting in your journey is that you were not afraid to ask yourself those questions that made you feel uncomfortable. You want to say I don't know if I would say I wasn't afraid. Like one of the things I've learned is that fear doesn't go away. You just get more brave. Like I was mm. terrified. My friends thought I was crazy. My parents were like, what have you done? So, you know, like, yeah, because I'm like, oh, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go backpack around the world for a couple of years. Like people thought I was get, like throwing it all away, giving it all up. No one's going to hire you. Gap in your resume. We've like, been, yeah, I think a lot of us has been through that. <laughs> yeah, like, so I was like, just if anyone's listening and it's like, it wasn't that I wasn't afraid. It was that mm. like, there was just something in me that was like, there, there has to be more than this. There was this an itching feeling that you need to find what you really love. And so that's, yes. that, that is what I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so amazed about that. A lot of us have those questions at the back of the mind, but most of the time we tend to ignore them because we know it's going to take us to an uncomfortable path. I'm sure it must have been a very difficult decision for you as well. But as you mentioned, you had that inkling to do something about it. And that's where your journey started from there. I think you thought of, you know, let me quit this job as easy as it sounds. Uh, I'm sure a lot of things must be going inside your head. As you mentioned, there were a lot of other voices that were asking you not to do it because you work in a certain way in society. And if you stop doing that, people get really afraid, you know, what's going to happen next. Because if they're near your dear ones, they will be afraid for you. But it is up to us to understand what is really good and bad for us. And that voice comes from within. So I think you had a lot of internal dialogue for your for your own self that helped you. And you did listen to yourself, took the brave step. So Josh, you had a very exciting and I think challenging journey after that when you quit your job, which was you traveled around the country. You worked in 39 countries. And after two years, you... you you, I think you you became a changed person because something in your mindset changed. Are you able to take our listeners through that? Because I think that must have been a very unique journey. Yeah, and it's so funny. Like when I said at the start, it might have sounded like a weird comment when I said like, I believe you can change the past. Like when I was telling my story for the first couple of years of like, hey, I went traveling for two years. I went to 39 different countries. I put the map on the screen. 
everyone would be like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'd like to do that one time. <laughs> but now since COVID's been around, people are like, oh, my gosh, you went traveling. And I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. Because there's generations of people coming out now who are like, that idea of, like, you're able to go freely between all these different, like, I don't know if that's going to be a thing. So, yeah, it was my decision. Originally, I decided to leave for a year. I somehow um, convinced, I don't know, or just tapped into something that my best friend Cody from high school wanted to travel as well. Neither of us were ever in a financial position to go and afford and travel overseas. To be really honest, it was a lot of my friends at university who had jobs, who would work over the sort of throughout the year. And then over the summer breaks, they'd go over to America. They'd go through Asia or South America. And I saw them do these trips. I'm like, that's amazing. I would love to do that. And so as an engineer, when I graduated, I sort of saved up all my pennies and Cody was at uni and he was working a night job. We saved up all our money and we're like, we're going to go for a year. And we sort of capped the downside. So I negotiated with work as an engineer, like, oh, if I come back, like, can I come back? Okay. And originally it was like a bit tense. So like, you can't just leave and come back. I'm like, but could I maybe? And in the end, they're like, all right, you can have a leave of absence. Like the sort of thing you give someone in their forties when they go and like buy a Harley and drive around oh Australia. God. Yeah. I just got it at like one year in at like 22. I had like a midlife crisis at 22 and they're like, all right. So it was kind of like, I had that downside capped. I knew I could come back and more or less sort of find a job. Cody had a year left of university as well. So yeah, we left, we went traveling, we went to Canada for a winter ski season. Neither of us knew how to snowboard. We taught ourselves like how to snowboard, which was awesome. We did a big U-shape around America. We jumped over into Europe, did like a Kentucky. And by then, like we had Instagrams were fire. You know, we just had to spend (laughs) all of our money um, on making our Instagrams look good and got to London and we were pretty broke and worked there for a little while. And then for me, I was like, okay, I've kind of been doing this like Instagram, going out to nightclubs and bars for nine, eight, nine months. Like I'm a slow learner, right? It took me eight or nine months to be like, maybe there's more to life than this. I ended up just coincidence after coincidence, ended up in Portugal with a friend. And while I was with him, he's like, we're actually going to Greece next. And I was like, okay, I'll come with you, you know, just like went to Greece. Why not? I had no plans. And I end up like, this is cheap. Like we're on like $40 European flights. Like this is cheap, 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 cheap. Like $39 to fly from one country to another. End up in Greece. While we're in Greece, we're on this little island. And the same day we're on the island, this is 2015, peak of the Syrian refugee movement. This little island is off the coast of Turkey. When, this is sort of when everything changed for me, as Syrian refugees came out of Syria into Turkey, they then go from Turkey into Greece. And the idea was to get north enough to be in a country that had, one was part of the UN and also would sort of like give them safety, take care of them. And some countries were like, if you come here, we don't help you. Other countries were like, if you come here, we'll look after you, but you've got to kind of get here. Mm-hmm. And so I was on this little island called Koz off, the, off um, a town or city called Bodrum in Turkey. I was on this little Greek island and there are all these ships coming in, like ships is a loose title, like blow up dinghies and stuff yeah. coming in with people. And the docks were full of these, uh, of the refugees. Intense. <laughs> it was intense, you know, and I'd never really been around, I'd never really been around refugees before. Like not like resettled refugees, they're in uni, yeah. they're on scholarships, like they're finding their way, like fresh off a boat refugee, dripping wet from the ocean, left their family behind, don't know where they're going, kind of like, it was intense. And the same day, so we're on this island, we sort of see this, and our next step was crossing. So we had to go from Kos to Turkey, like classic. We were tourists going towards Turkey to, like, have Turkish food, and then people were fleeing war-torn countries in the opposite direction. And you could see the opposite side. You could see Kos from Bodrum and Bodrum from Kos. And the same day we crossed the water, 
just pure coincidence from Kos to Turkey. And a boat left Bodrum, tried to get to Kos, flipped over in a storm. I think it was a storm, flipped over, and pretty much everyone on the boat didn't make it. And that incident, just by coincidence, became a global phenomenon because in the news there was this little boy who passed away and drowned, and he was in, like, I think he was in red shorts and a little blue shirt, and there was a photo of him on the front page of the newspaper washed up on the beach. And so it was this photo that went global around the world of a little boy, like cute little boy, face down in the sand on the beach. And, like, graphic, right? So talk about, like, Tony Robbins always says, you know, an idea is a poor substitute for an experience. And, like, like it or not, I was having an experience. I was there and I was like, bloody hell. Like, I I literally did it. And the thing was, that boat trip cost me, I can't remember now, it cost me 20 euros. I went to the ferry. I didn't even think about it. 20 euros, get on the ferry, have a coffee. Half an hour later, I'm in Turkey. Like, woohoo. A little boy passed away because they didn't have 20 euros. And for me, I was like, the price of a life in reality was 20, like imagine, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get over the idea of imagine, I've never been able to shake this image. Imagine standing at a thing and a little boy comes up to you and says, if I don't get 20 euros, I'm going to, I'm not going to make it. Like, I don't think there's a human on the planet. Like I'd sell an organ. I'm like, get a kidney out of me. You know, here's the money, you know, take my hair. Like I do anything, you know, you just, that idea of, and you do anything. And there's a school of thought, Peter Singer talks about this. And he says, you know, if you, if you watch, if you walked past a, a fountain and you saw someone drowning in the fountain and you're wearing an expensive suit, say your suit was a thousand dollars, would you jump in the fountain and save somebody? He says, of course you would. You wouldn't worry about the suit. Yet that's not how we live our lives. At least I wasn't consciously. I wasn't thinking the way I make my money, the way I spend my money, the way I spend my time. I didn't think, am I making the world a better place? And when this happened and when I sort of had this incident, and this, everything happened with this little boy. And I spent some time in that region with all the refugee movements happening. Eventually, I volunteered in a refugee border crossing and did some bits and pieces. But I was there and I had to ask myself, am I doing anything about this? If this is a problem in the world that's making me in, like, I was like shaking inside, like just the idea and the injustice of it all and coming from a country that has so much prosperity and good fortune. And I've never seen someone pass away. I've never seen someone on a beach. Like, to be in that situation, and have to ask myself, am I doing anything to make this better? Or am I, I might as well be at home in Sydney, like out at a cafe, reading it in the newspaper. Like, am I doing anything about this? And the answer I came to was no. The answer was I'd spent the last nine months drinking beers in pubs and being on Kentikis and having a lot of fun. And that was amazing. But I didn't ever think about my career as a way to make the world a better place. I just thought about it as something I do. I make money, like hopefully I don't hurt anyone in the process. And that sort of experience in the months I spent in the Western parts of Europe, Eastern parts of Europe, sorry, made me think I need to do something with my life that makes the world a better place. I need to find a way that how I spend my nine to five or 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. or whatever it is, it needs to make the world a better place. And it then took me a year. I went back to Canada. I spent another year in Canada. I thought about it every day. I started speaking to people. I started looking for people who were making the world a better place, reading books, listening to podcasts, and it took me a year before I arrived back in Australia and started working for a nonprofit. So, like, I'm, as I said, I'm a slow learner, right? But it it took that time. That was reality. I needed two years to step out, be somewhere, and just like I would say, like, if, if you're not around something that inspires you or motivates you, get somewhere where it's better and let something hit you. Like, 
let something in in your environment, whether you meet someone who's amazing or meet someone who's been through hell, like be around people that will shake you out of the comfort zone of, I don't know what to do with my life. Like it's easy. Make the world a better place for people. Find suffering, solve it. Like that's what we should do with our lives. In my opinion, it's really easy. Find the problem you care about, work tirelessly to solve it. And it wasn't until I came back to Australia and started working in nonprofits that, yeah, I felt like I was actually doing that. Wow, that was really intense. And I think what's really interesting is that, I mean, you were in a very difficult situation back then, but then you, again, you asked your, I think you have this very, very nice quality of having an internal dialogue and fishing for an answer within yourself that Mm. what you can do so you can help or change your situation for better. And I think this world tour that you had that changed your situation, which in turn changed a lot of lives in Australia. And I can say that by a lot of confidence because I first met Josh Farr in one of his one month productivity challenge, creating audio visual. And that's where I started my podcast just within that one month. So it is, you thought of something, you work towards it, and now you are helping and really, really changing life of people over here, students especially. So thank you, Josh. Thank you so much for being on my first step ever and taking us through your journey in such honest way. And before you leave, can you please leave our listeners with a thought or a saying that you resonate with? The quote that changed everything for me, and I'll sort of wrap up that story overseas as I went up through Eastern Europe, I went to another dark place, which I won't go into. Something about that appeals to me. And I went to this museum. There was nothing on the wall but photos. And there was this one quote. And as I walked out, the quote's often attributed to Edmund Burke. And the quote goes something like this. All it takes for the perseverance of evil is for good people to do nothing. All it takes for the perseverance of evil is for good people to do nothing. So Whenever I speak to students, whenever I think about, like, if someone's listening to this and they go, well, I can't go on a two-year thing, like, what, do I have to wait for something horrible to happen to a child for me to have an epiphany? Like, no, I've learned more since then, right? I believe you can learn from your experience or the experience of others. So if you're listening to me today, if you've made it this far, I'd say, take some of what I've learned, if you can, if it relates to you, if it hits you in your heart and soul, and think about Is there a problem in the world? Is there an evil in the world, whether it's social inequality, gender pay gaps, violence, hunger, poverty, whatever it is, is there an evil in the world that you care about that you're not doing anything about? And that should cause some tension inside, right? If there's something that you go, I care about that, but wait, am I doing anything about that? Is there time in my calendar today to make that problem go away? Have I spent money on it? Like, You're like, I'll do it when I'm older. No, you won't. It's now. Like, so rather than wait, I'd say, if you can find an evil in the world, ask yourself, am I doing anything about it? And the best answer to that question is no. And if the answer is no, it means your journey just begins. These chats leave me with amazing energy. And today, I like to leave you with that positive energy. If you've liked this episode, enjoyed or learned something out of it, then follow me at my first step ever underscore IN Instagram account where you can get in touch and let me know that what really helped you. And keep following my first step ever podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify, whichever platform you love. And before I take your leave, I would like to say that if you love watching videos, This podcast is also available on my YouTube channel, Ishani Nigam. Until next time, start believing in yourself and keep believing in yourself.